ko te manu e kaiana te miro nona te ngahere. Ko te manu e kaiana te mātauranga nona te ao. The bird that partakes in the middleberry owns the forest. The bird that partakes in knowledge owns the world. E ngā mana e ngā reo he mihi tēnei kia koutou katoa e are taringa mai ana ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. I'm Justine Murray. And I'm Maraia Rakuraku and this is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. It's our second to last show for 2010 whānau mā, so sit back and relax for the next wee while. Here's what's coming up. Earlier this week, Maraia and I met with ukulele legend Phil Campbell who tried to teach us a few tunes. Down, up, up, down, up, up. Just do that with your hand. See, see this? Do this? That's right. And see there? See how I've got those two fingers prominent? That finger and that finger. But you use this one if you want to. It's whatever you're comfortable with, eh? The reason I use this finger is because my hand's a bit bent. But if you use the middle one, your hand's more straight with the ukulele. So, so you're using one finger to go down, yeah. and then you're using you're like rolling as you come up. Aren't no, you? Yeah, just so one finger to go down, and then come come up with a thumb, and then with the same finger. Oh. Yeah, but don't hesitate, you know. Don't hesitate. <laughs> but listen, if you're it's happy, painful, isn't if you're happy, if you're happy, if you're using this finger, use it. You know, like. It's just, in preparation for the summer and all the indulgences of the season, Justine partakes in some gastronomic delights. And that was the Kawakawa Indigenous Chocolate. Wow. And what's what's this one? Harakeke. As in flax. To use to weave harakeke baskets. Okay, so harakeke chocolate. Oh, okay, the seeds. Mmm. Pickle pickle chocolate. Now, that's a combo you don't expect. We'll hear about some of the more interesting food fusions Kerry Cunningham has on offer later in the programme. Before book reviewer Mariana Pittman gives us her verdict on Otago University Press book, Indigenous Identity and Resistance, Researching the Diversity of Knowledge. e That's all coming up later in this edition of Te Ahika. Iwi like Ngāti Kahununu and Te Arawa have their own sports awards, acknowledging iwi athletes whose hours of sweat and effort have paid off. Throw them all together and you have the Māori Sports Awards. Marae caught up with organiser and sporting veteran Dick Garrett. The 20th National Māori Sports Awards were held last week in Manukau, Auckland. And as I was looking through the list of the award recipients, Dick Garrett... Does rugby always dominate? Um, yes, it has in the past, but um, of course, in those early days, you know, in, the, in, the, in 1991 and 92 and 93 on, there was sort of the rugby and the netball and rugby league. But um, we, we covered, say, ten sports, and it was uh, reasonably dominated by rugby. And then, of course, uh, on Saturday night, we had uh, over 26 sports covered. But you've got to remember, in those first three years. Uh, our major sports people, first one came from netball, the second uh, was Marama Tomonu, second was Eric Rush, because it was rugby and rugby sevens, and the third one was Cathy Milne. 
the world's strongest woman voted in 1993 in the world with about also held about 12 world records. So of the first three years, you had netball, rugby and powerlifting. And if you look at these last three years, Saturday night, the major winner, you had a rugby. The year before was Benji Marshall with Rugby League and the year before that was an axman, Jason Winyard. So, yeah, rugby to me hasn't has been a, a dominator, but not total domination. This year, the Albi Prior Māori Sportsperson of the Year went to Jose Gear, and he was also the senior sportsman. Plus, the Māori sports team was the Māori All Blacks. Yes. How do these awards stack up compared to the Halberg Mainstream Awards? Well, uh, how they stack up is uh, incredible. When you can have uh, fourteen. Māori world champions and 13 of those are individual champions and one was a team, a Waka Ama team. And we also uh, unfortunately we had also two other world champions that could not uh, get recognised or one we weren't aware of until uh, till yesterday and um, and of course Jan Khan two days before the um, awards had won the world champion of champion singles bowls tournament but they will come into next year so in 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 the Halberg awards what i'm trying to say i doubt if they present 14 world champions as in, almost in, as individuals and there's quite um when i look out over the past 20 years you do tend to see more diversity in sport and there's the argument isn't it that uh, maori tend to be better at uh team sports than individual events? You know, Mariah, that's a good question because it has been that uh, the dominant corridor uh, about this that Māori uh, seem to excel more in team sports but as again, as I go over these um, world champions where you've got uh, Waka under, um, two individuals, one in the paraplegic event one not, one is a world uh, paraplegic swimmer a, a BMX champion uh, a Taekwondo champion, a wood chopping champion, a shearing champions, um, karate champions, extreme whitewater champion, a ladies boxing champion, wool handling champion. So, you know, those, um, uh, you know, Māori don't have a Māori All Blacks team in the Rugby World Cup. League had one quite a few years ago. So, uh, yeah, that may be a bit of a continuing debate about that question. And looking at the list of the recipients, there's a range of iwi represented it as well. I mean, Dick, do some iwi have more sporting prowess than others? I, I wouldn't like to say that. Um, but again, I'd, I'd like to make the comment that we were doing a bit of research and back to 1991 where those, uh, those finalists, if you like, and athletes presented covered those um, 10 sports and approximately 12 iwi. And last Saturday night, we covered 27 sports and in excess of 30 iwi. So um, I don't, I would, I don't think we we could say that one iwi is better than the other. Although some iwi would disagree. Yes, and I think it wouldn't do justice if we had a, a tonga put out there that said the highest uh, representation uh, of iwi, you know, gets a, a, a trophy or a tonga for that. Individual sports like tennis and uh, hockey wouldn't have their tournaments. You. Yeah that would fit that, but not for here. And you do have some iwi that have their own sports awards now, don't you? You've got Kahununu, you've got Te Arawa. How do the iwi sports awards fit in under this regime, under the 
Māori Sports Awards. Yes, well, we, we, while we don't have the holding over them, we, um, we, um, we, do, we do communicate with them annually and um, they take their judging criteria for must they try and have theirs prior to ours so they can send their finalists to us and any new ones starting up, we assist them, we assist them in, their, um, in, in their development like you did with 242 Sports Awards some three or four years back. Now, there's also been the creation of Māori Sporting Academies, and you're involved with the one in Palmerston North, Tutor. Yes. So we're looking at those kids now, the secondary students now. Is it inevitable that in another 10 years' time or even earlier, we're going to see sports like golf and tennis dominating? Um, I wouldn't say dominating, but I'd like to see that... uh, uh, they, the, the success on the national and international stage is the, is the answer or the winner of that. So um, I, I could never see tennis, for instance, dominating uh, rugby, rugby league or netball, but I can see them uh, climbing the ladder closer to them. I think, you know, the establishment of the two-tour uh, academy, um, you know, the the government and the country need to get behind that more because already outstanding success, what those jury whānau have uh, initiated and developed. And, OK, Jim Love has an academy and some bits and pieces here, but we need to be a lot stronger in that and the support of that development. There's some kōrero going about a Māori sports body. These things will help strengthen those issues so that we can get more of our youth uh, um, into sport and intermix with with education and culture. Maybe the the outcome of that answer is that exactly what we're saying. So in 20 years, uh, the Māori Sports Awards has acknowledged the success of Māori athletes on the regional, national and international fields by tripling the amount of iwi representative, the amount of sports represented and the amount of world champions presented. But there is an infrastructure, eh, that you have to move through because I know with the Tutor Academy and with the netball girls, they are actually also part of the Māori netball scene. So inevitably, the athlete who's going to take it up to an elite level is going to get discovered or seen at different stages of their development, whether that's in a Māori situation or whether that's in more of a mainstream environment. Yes, and that's the case. You know, if you um, you know you see some of the top in the top sports like the rugby leagues and uh, the rugby's and the netballs, where they shift uh, regions, shift clubs, big clubs, or Super 14s or whatever, or NRL teams to get that better exposure. No difference here with the academies; they got a chance to get in there. It's a chance of exposure. But what's more important, going back to that Tutu Academy. That only, not only that they work with Māori netball, they work with Netball New Zealand, which our country's small and that's needed. So the networking processes with those parent or mainstream stream organisations needs to be even developed further, and a Māori sports body as well would assist that. But we do need more Māori sports academies like what the jury whānau have set up. But... Dick Garrett, do you think that there is an issue when the Māori All Blacks were removed from the competition 
in favour of All Blacks, and then you've got players who will choose to go with more with the All Blacks rather than the Māori All Black team, but then you have it the other way around as well. I mean, don't aren't we always competing where one level of sport seems to have more mana than the other? Yeah, what we, we, we really, we're not competing. We don't get the chance. And what's sad um, is, is our, main, our main game, if you like, uh, in this country is rugby. And yet we come uh, fourth or fifth class as far as the rugby unit's concerned with uh, university teams, North Island teams, junior teams, or whatever. And Māori has made, from 1888, from that native team that went away with Joe Warburg, has made a huge contribution to the success of all black teams as our national game from that 1888 right through to 2010. But we're still only ranked fourth or fifth class within our own backyard. And this is the problem, and uh, I can assure you that I would say that the rugby union uh, pays uh, sacrificial, superficial uh, recognition of uh, promoting Māori teams to play overseas teams or whatever else they can promote. And they always seem to be exhibition matches. Yes. You know, and then there's a, there'll be a headline saying Māori team defeated... Ireland or whatever the team was that came from overseas, but there's is there is there an inference that it's always a less superior team to the national team? Well, you know, uh, Maori as Tonga Defender would like to have seen a a team in the World Cup because there is double standards right throughout the world. We have uh, our Pacific Island people have choices. Uh, we have a choice, of course. You are the you are the well. We have no choice. You are the play for the All Blacks or that's it. Um, we have uh, the British and Irish Lions where they can play under that British Irish, Irish, under British and Irish Lions and yet they can go away and play for Scotland uh, and Wales, etc., you know, and England. Um, so I think the standards aren't fair within. Now, they're supposed to be, I believe, with the Rugby World Cup rules, uh, one country, one representation. And yet uh, we go, as I repeat again, the British and Irish lines represent a country. And yet they can come down as individuals. Then you have the Pacific Islands. You know, they can stay with a three-year term with their own or go across and play for Australia, New Zealand or whoever. But uh, Māori do not have that chance. So what needs to change for Māori to get that chance? It'll only change if we've got the New Zealand Rugby Union pushing that case. And um, sadly, even with our Māori Rugby Board, while we have representation on there, we don't have strong representation, we don't have proper voting. Uh, when I, I take that back, not proper voting. We don't get a strong enough voice in there to say that we should be as partners, as part of the treaty and many other factors why we can't stand shoulder to shoulder and enter two teams. And what is, not, what is always forgotten is that, uh, the, I mentioned earlier the contribution that Māori All Blacks and Māori rugby players have made to this national game through the All Blacks and other teams, is that we could even be a stronger force by having a Māori team. With the All Blacks as the first choice and the Māori rugby team in the World Cup, it would strengthen the future of the game here with the Aotearoa. 
Will the Māori Sports Foundation assist in that process as well? Yes, and this is why uh, uh, the Minister Peter Sharples and uh, Tamati Reedy and, 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 and some of us others, we're working at the moment on uh, a possible formation of a Māori sports body, we have a, then would be a stronger unit to take our case to those rugby boards. And with Rugby World Cup 2011 looming? We'd have no show by then, mm. but, I, but of course that's the time to uh, try and debate about it, sensible debate about it and uh, try and get some movement. Those, these things here are the vision and the wishes of those great people right back to Aperananata, right through to Albie Pryor who started these sports awards and Pat Walsh, uh, for instance, who were great uh, mentors of Māori rugby. And we still owe it to them to keep that fight going. Kia ora maraia, ko mango pohatu te maunga, ko waikare mwana te awa, ko opatau te marae tō Ngāti Tāwhiki te hapu. Ko nai tūhoi te iwi, ko Tiki Garrett tuku ingoa nai tūhoi e tūnei he mihi nei. Nā mihi kia koe, Dick Garrett. At our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A, you can click through to a comprehensive list of the 2010 Māori Sports Award recipients. You're listening to Teahika, Radio National. At the Kai in the Bay Wild Food Festival in Napier, you expect to see some interesting food combinations. Justine got to sample a bit of everything when she attended the inaugural event, but what she didn't expect was a chocolatier doing all sorts of interesting things with bush kai. Aside from fried bread and uh, barbecues, sausage sizzles, the one that you can pick up, I'm here at Kanohi Chocolates. Chocolates or tiakaretu? My name's uh, Kokiri Cunningham Toku Ingoa. And uh, where are you from? Uh, no Jersey Motu, I hope. Jersey Islands originally. Oh, whereabouts is that? That's the other side of the world. <laughs> Near France, yes. Because <laughs> what, what what's your accent? Jersey. Jersey, okay, sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, Kia ora So, Kanohi Chocolates, this is your business? Yes, it is. Why the interest in, in, in chocolate and why the name Kanohi? Um, Kanohi originally came from my husband's name, his, uh, his name being Kanohi. Um, and the interest in chocolate came from making them about 60 years ago for friends and family at Christmas time and then got nagged to produce them on a more mass scale. So hence this. Kanohi is my husband's name, but the meaning being face, eye, or spiritual yes. terms representative. Okay, yeah, no, I, was, I wasn't too sure there was a name that came from your homeland. No. No, 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 because Kanohi no. is, is te reo Māori, <laughs> meaning face or eyes, right? You've got this, it's like a boutique chocolate, high-end chocolate. Yes. yes. Yeah, it's gourmet chocolate from, uh, from Belgium. So it's Calibre chocolate, and then it's infused with all natural ingredients. Um, my particular speciality is the indigenous range, so I go bush. What's the indigenous range? Um, our local bush, native bush flavours, horopito, kawakawa, kareao. Pico pico? Aye, pico pico. Piri piri, karamu, harore, pohutakawa, miro. Yes. Um, you were talking about the indigenous flavours that you infuse in your chocolate. I mean, how does it does it complement the cocoa and the and the sugar and? Absolutely. 
Incredible flavours. Yes. Really, really incredible. So could you describe the flavours? I mean, I know it might be hard. I can let you describe them. Okay. Do you want to try them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then. Carnohe chocolates here at Kainla Bay Food Festival. And I'm trying the indigenous um, type. Thank you. Kawa kawa. This is, oh wow, so I'm having a little taste. Very, very, su- oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> like a kind of like a salty. Yeah. With a, like, a round sound flavor it does. And that was the Kawakawa indigenous chocolate. Wow. And what's what's this one? Harakeke. As in flax. To use to weave harakeke baskets. Okay, so harakeke chocolate. Oh, okay, the seeds. Bitter. Well, no, a little bit salty. So Kerry's just cutting up some chocolate, um, and she's allowing the customers to sample some of the chocolate. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why not? Oh, I love my job. And so what? <laughs> and so which one is this, Kerry? Middle. 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 The berry. No, yeah, the berry. The berry. So this is the middle berry. Ooh. It's like a vanilla creamy centre. I'm not too sure how to describe it, but it's slightly woody. I'm buying them one by one. Do you want to do a box? No, 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 no. I'll just pick one. Okay. So, Kanohi Chocolates here at Kind of Bay Food Festival, talking to Kerry. Uh, oh, which one was that? Karino. What's that one? What's that flavour? Karingo. Karingo. Okay, I'll taste. Shall I half that or? Oh, okay. It's yummy. Mmm. Slightly caramelly, slightly vanillary, slightly salty. Nice. So, um, so Kerry, is this? Do you operate in a in a store? This is um, actually my hobby. So you just make chocolate at home. So your chocolates, um, Kerry, do you give them just for, for family to sample or for your friends? Um, yeah, I try to. Because, um, you know, as you see, I'm trying not to sample <laughs> them myself. Yes, <laughs> on the lips, straight to the hips. Kia ora, Rotorua-based chocolate maker Kerry Cunningham with Justine at the Kai in the Bay Māori Wild Food Festival in Napier. For pictures of today's guests, to find a link to our Facebook or to download today's Te Ahika, you can head to our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. With the recent tour of the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain in Aotearoa, it's not hard to see why this little old instrument has gone through a bit of a resurgence. Aye, tikara maraya. There's the masses of school kids around the country joining in the Great Ukulele Jam and the Wellington International Ukulele Orchestra, who are a staple of the Wellington gig scene. Another local exponent is the legendary Te Rarawa Te Aupauri Ukulele player Phil Campbell, who, though he was nursing an injured arm, still managed to blow us away. He mihi tēnei kia Phil Campbell nō te rarawa 
Theo Pauri. Ukulele player extraordinaire. Sorry about the quality of that interview, Fano Ma, but wasn't he lovely? Now he'll be on again, folks. We've got round two of the interview coming up in 2011. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Maraya Rakraku, and this is Te Ahika. What is it to be Indigenous? What does that mean? What does it mean for Māori? Those are just some of the questions a load of academics have asked and answered in Identity and Resistance, researching the diversity of knowledge published by Otago University Press and reviewed by Mediana Pittman. The book is a collaboration of um, very scholarly people, Indigenous people mostly, between um, Canadian, uh, Pacific and Māori um, scholars. And um, it's written, I mean, it's not a book that is written for, I don't think, uh, it, it, it would be interesting for public consumption, but more interesting for the serious student, you know, the serious graduate. And um, But it, it offers some really, really good insights and um, development of how Māori, Māori academics have approached research in the last maybe 20 years and started to turn it around and um, started to look at um, their own cultural, our own cultural frameworks for research rather than, because, you know, like a lot of Indigenous people are researched to the max by other people to totally and totally had a guts full of it. But um, these these people like Puyarui and um, Alice Somerville and those ones, They've, uh, in, in line with Linda Smith and a lot of what's been happening up in um, the uh, Māori School of Excellence up at, at Auckland University, where they started on the whole kind of thing around decolonisation and research, These, this is kind of like carrying on with that and looking at how do we... Um, how do they, how do we as people, indigenous people, maintain our cultural identity and maintain our um, vigilance around that so that it survives into the future? And at the same time, how do we resist, you know? How do we re- resist the um, other, other people who want to come and um, research us? You know, because it's a lofty title, eh? Indigenous Identity and Resistance. Yes. Researching the Diversity of Knowledge. I mean, that alone is a mouthful. Oh, and I know. That's why I say it's not... It's no, not I mean, I'm not putting down the ordinary... I'm not putting down the, the grassroots people, but, you know, to get into it is... Um, you have to kind of... I had to read it... I had to read some things twice, not because I'm thick, but because... I had to have a dictionary with me all the time. I know, I found that I had to have a dictionary. <laughs> to, to decipher, oh, oh my God, is that what that means? <laughs> so, like a lot of academic people, they say, they, uh, it takes them a long time to say a lot. To get to really, the point. At a grassroots level, we would say that in a grunt or, a, you know, a, 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 a upraising of the eyebrows or something like that. But um, it takes them... It's it's very it's very academic and it is written for academia, but it, and having said that, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the stuff uh, the 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 stuff that um, uh, Charlene Sh- Charlene oh 
Jobin Vanderveld did on um, governance practices. I enjoyed the stuff around the medicine wheel and how um, the Canadian cultures really protect, you know, their knowledge and information. I, I really enjoyed Poyarewi's stuff around Whaikōrero and the protection and maintenance of Whaikōrero and what did that mean, um, you know, to us as people and what did it mean to speakers. And also, he was really great because he sets out how how Pākehā view Whaikōrero and talks about the gender issues and all of those things that beset us in the contemporary world. So how do you apply the ever-changing, ever-evolving contemporary world, how do you, where do you fit, how do you fit our cultural imperatives into that world, you know, and maintain them and keep a hold of them and all the things that you love about them so that our children will continue to to grow that in the future. Because, I mean, you know, very solid ways of being that have, we've survived through for 800, 900 a thousand years that have kept us intact in some way culturally, um, and 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 when that's under fire, how do we make our way through that? How do we navigate our way through that? So I found it uh, inspiring, very inspiring book as well. Is yeah. it beneficial having all the different indigenous contributors? Um, I found that quite quite hard uh, in many ways, you know, because you've got. But what I did, yeah, I think what I did really like is that each of them, all their territory, whether it was the Pacific Island writers, whether it's the Canadian writers, to a lesser extent Māori writers, we all land in the same place at the same time, over the same issues. So the need to protect what are our cultural imperatives and the need to... um, be able to begin to develop our own frameworks of looking at, at how we research our people, they've all landed as well on the same areas. So I think there are commonalities throughout the whole book where um, that Indigenous people can land on. We can all land on those things and we know that we have to do that stuff. But in some ways too, it was it was hard and you have to treat each chapter as a as a new, you know, as a new piece of reading. You have to treat everything new and treat everything as it comes and and get your mind ready to go into their way of thinking, you know? You have to be taken into that. Yeah. Mm. So I found, yeah, that's why I say it was a really hard book to read. It was very difficult at times <laughs> and I had to go over and over and over. But um, very academic, very, very academic, very intellectual book. And um, But at the same time had common, you know, places where you could land on it. Mm. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. I would. I think I would recommend it, though, to Wharewananga, graduate students, PhD students. Yes, I don't think it's an undergrad book at all. The language is too, um, it's quite advanced. It's too advanced for it. But... But I loved the history. I loved the presentation of history and the impact of what colonisation had done in various countries. And that, well, I called it, you know, that that colonial castration of our people. It was like the emotional castration of our people in some ways. Some of the stories were the stories, when they get into telling the stories 
the medicine wheel stories, the stories of Te Reo Māori that Hana talks about, the reclamation of Hana O'Regan talks about, you know, the reclamation of Ngaitahu, um, where Puya does talk about the, you know, the ongoing um, uh, vigilance around Faikoruru and Te Reo Māori. I, 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 at times, felt really, really sad, but um, about that feeling really castrated that the systems over the years had castrated us all in some way had cut us off and but I at the end of the book felt really great because if this is the quality of people who are doing this research and reclamation in this way then we're in pretty good hands really but it isn't for the undergraduate it's for the postgraduate it's for the doctoral students and that level. So I would recommend it. Um, I would recommend it to, um, yeah, those higher level schools, to law schools. I would recommend this book to all law schools and um, political science and into political science as well. Tēnā koe, Miriana, mō kōrero kia mātou. Miriana Pittman nō Ngāti Kahungunu with her review of the book Identity and Resistance, Researching the Diversity of Knowledge. That joins our Te Wetuete series, which you can access at our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te Click through, and while there, you can listen to previous broadcasts or move around the page and check out our photo gallery. Anaira Matu Julian nō Tarnaki Whānui with this week's Whakatauki. The bird that partakes in the middleberry owns the forest. The bird that partakes in knowledge owns the world. Ko te manu i kaiana te, te miro nōna te ngāere, ko te manu i kaiana te mātauranga nōna te ao. I think it's a beautiful um, wakatauki to express potential, express um, individual differences and you know, abundance really. I think that's really important and, and I take my hat off to our tūpunu who are so wise in wisdom, you know, so wise in terms of sharing that, those kind of words, because those words from back then are still relevant today. Kia ora no koutou e wakarongo mai nā ki tēne o ngā teihana o te motu nei, ko e tēne i kōreratu nei, ko tarana ki te mau, ko aotea te waka, ko tātea unui a pāparangi, ko ngā titū mango, ko ngā ruhene o ku iwi, ko ore, ko... A putuki waranui toku marae, ahakoe e no te awa ahau i tipuaki au i, I wainui te, te wānu o Ngāru Hene i raro i te maunga o Taranaki, anō reira ko Machu Julian tōku ingo, tēnā kūta. I'm sure, like you, we're winding down too. Next week, it's the last show for 2010, and we've got the coolest manuhiri in the whare, Logan Campbell, Jamie Ferguson, and Leon Davey from Catch Fire. Woohoo! Yep. The boys are in the house. We talk about their new album, On the Road Again, and they share a couple of songs from the album, Acoustic Styles. It's going to be a treat, Fano Ma. And because it's our final show, we'll be paying tribute to those who passed away this year as well. Aira, e kore tātou, e wari waretia, i o rātou mahi o te ao Māori. We won't forget their contributions to the Māori world. Kua tai anō ki te mutunga a te ahikā. That's our show for this week. He mihi atu ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki, anō nei te mihi mai o hā ki tā mātou kai rā wiki wiki mihini nā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu. Mauri ora tātou katoa.